Cheers Cast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Bars all over America right now. Patrons are wondering who's going to win this game. It's no different than the most famous TV sports bar. Cheers. Good morning, everyone. Oh, you guys are here early, huh? Super Bowl Sunday, I am. The only reason for living. Not found in a mugget. <laughs> you know, we're here early to make sure we catch all 12 hours of the uh, Super Bowl pre-game show here, Diane. <laughs> everything you've got Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot Wouldn't you like to get away Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came You want to be where you can see Troubles are all the same You want to be where everybody knows your name You want to go where people know People are all the same You want to go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly. And this is going to be a slightly weirder episode than normal. The second half of this show will be another installment of Cliffy's Mailbag, where I respond to listener feedback from episodes 13 through 22 of the first season. Before that, however, my guest and I are going to take a look at two unusual chapters in the Cheers canon. We'll explain those in a minute, but first, my guest, who definitely drew the short straw is a returning voice to the podcast on loan from the Atomic Junk Shop and the co-host of the SNL Nerds podcast. It's Mr. John Trumbull. How are you, John? Oh, well, thank you. I, I don't get called Mr. very much, so I'm I'm very impressed all, with that already. I feel very important. It's really the, the least honorific I could come up with. So, if... uh, you know, you, you, so you're Woody and I'm Cliff. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Podcast listeners, you'll learn who Woody is in a couple of years. Sure. Don't worry about yeah. it. At, at my rate, yeah. yeah. For those of you listening, John is here to help me cover two sort of micro-episodes. The first one is a short scene that aired just before Super Bowl seventeen in 1983. The other one is a 10- to 12-minute short produced by the U.S. Treasury to promote savings bonds. And if that sounds absurd and not familiar to you, it's probably because it never aired on TV and was never released in any of the DVD sets. Uh, but we'll get back to that one later. We're going to start with the Super Bowl episode, for the most part, just called Cheers Super Bowl episode, and you can find this online. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs, directed, I'm assuming, by James Burroughs, although I couldn't find that credit. 
and the original air date was Sunday, January 30th, 1983. Diane comes to work on Super Bowl Sunday, surprised to find Norm and Cliff already there, getting a start on what they refer to as the 12 hours of pregame coverage. She attempts to mock how serious Carla and the guys talk about the competition, but Cliff throws it back at her. A visitor wanders in and asks to use the phone to call his bookie. Carla recognizes the man as sports reporter and NBC correspondent Pete Axelm. They explain, for Diane's benefit, that his job is to predict the winner of the Super Bowl, causing Diane to sneer once more at the absurd degree of cultural relevance the gang places on a silly football game. When Axelm predicts that Miami will beat Washington in the game, however, Diane thinks that pick is ludicrous and challenges his expertise. This leads to a heated argument between the regulars, while Axelm steps up to break the fourth wall and send NBC's coverage back to the pregame show. So, all of that in about two and a half minutes. Uh, Mm -hmm. John, what did you think of this little thing, this little short piece? Well, it, it's an interesting curiosity uh, because it was written by real Cheers writers, Ken Levine and David Isaacs. They wrote a lot of classic episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. It does feel more or less like a scene from a real episode. And so I think it's enjoyable on that basis. It's It's got some good solid jokes. Um, the really weird part is at the end when uh, Pete totally breaks the fourth wall and mm-hmm. starts talking to the audience because that's unlike anything you find in any sort of Cheers episode. So that's really odd. If it wasn't for that, it would feel like something from a real show. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I was surprised when I first discovered this, which was after I started this podcast, actually. I, I don't think mm-hmm. I knew that this existed until, until relatively recently. And peeking behind the curtains, I had actually meant to cover this on the first listener feedback episode um, <laughs> that I did, like uh, in the pre- I was going to like have each each listener feedback episode would have one of these micro episodes, uh, and I completely even I had it in my notes, but I completely forgot to do it last time. Now that is okay because chronologically, this episode this thing would have aired between episodes sixteen and seventeen of the first season uh, because uh-huh. of where it shook out, but um. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think they they've kind of acknowledged that it was created in order to promote the show and boost its ratings. They were trying everything to get more eyes on Cheers, which was struggling. But there was a lot of people campaigning to for NBC to save it, uh, and thankfully they did. Yeah, I mean, because I know the show, it was actually dead last in the mm-hmm. Nielsen's the first season, which yeah. is. So I think it was like out of 70 shows, it was number 70. Yeah, for a couple just... of weeks, it was it was the dead last. It was always kind of in like the bottom three range somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And which is really weird to think, because when it went off the air, of course, it was the number one show. So that's a real testament that you should you should sometimes stick with things if they don't work immediately. Sometimes things take a while to find their groove. It takes audiences a while to discover something. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that despite the fact that this little thing was never rebroadcast, it, I mean, it was never shown with an episode of Cheers, it was never on any box set, the only reason that you can still find this, uh, as Ken Levine mentions on his blog, is because somebody who has tape-recorded every Super Bowl, like, had, like taped enough of the pregame show, that he still had this piece somewhere, and he was able to digitize it and put it so you can you can find it online right um, but Levine actually mentions that 
you know, despite the fact that it's never been rebroadcast or it's never been repeated, their estimate is that they had 80 million people probably watched this little Cheers micro thing because of how many people had tuned into the Super Bowl. And right. nothing he has ever written before or since ever got that many views or that <laughs> size of an audience. So. It, it really puts it into perspective because I think I think he said that, like, the final episode of Cheers, that had, like, I think 40 million people yeah, watching. Yeah. So literally half of what saw this two-and-a-half-minute segment. Right. And, uh, <laughs> it, it just it boggles the mind to think. And yet, even with that huge audience, it's still this this largely unseen curiosity, or largely forgotten, I yeah, guess I should yeah. say. And, it, and it's only be, by virtue of airing right before the game mm-hmm. that it, it's even preserved at all. If it had aired like a half hour earlier, this person probably wouldn't have been able to tape it. Right. Uh, because they weren't going for taping the cheers bit. Right. They right. just happened to get it because they were recording the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a such a weird little thing to think that this this might have been lost forever. But yeah, it, it is a weird thing. I mean, as I mentioned, like the cast members, uh, Coach is not in this little thing. There are no extras or background people. Sam, mm-hmm. for his part, has two lines of dialogue. Like he might as well not really be in there. It's mostly a scene. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's mostly a scene with Diane just kind of like riffing with like. Uh, uh, Cliff and, and Norman Carla until right. Pete Axel walks in. Uh, yeah, the whole shtick. It's interesting, but I mean, everybody still feels in character again because <laughs> hey, it's yeah, like by real cheers writers. Yeah. So you know, when I was doing research in, in anticipation of recording this episode, uh, they mentioned in in the segment that this was before Super Bowl seventeen, which mm-hmm. was the Super Bowl from nineteen eighty three. And uh, when they mentioned it was the Miami Dolphins versus the Washington Redskins, I realized I have a connection to that game. I have a vague connection because my family was actually living in Washington, D.C. when that Super Bowl occurred. Hmm. Um, So I was I was 10 years old and I was living uh, with my folks. Now, I was not brought up in a sports household. But I remember that that was such a big deal in in Washington, D.C. I mean, there was, of course, a lot of excitement about the game. I believe it was the first time the, the Redskins were in the Super Bowl, and it was the first, certainly the first time they won the Super Bowl. Now, for my money, that Super Bowl is most memorable because they broadcast the first regular episode of the A-Team right after. And, <laughs> and that was responsible for the A-Team getting such huge ratings in its first couple of years uh, because it had such a huge audience for that. But my parents actually went out to the movies that night. And as luck would have it, they were caught on camera by one of the local news stations, and they ended up on the evening news as the only Washingtonians not watching the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how little of a sports household I was brought up in. Okay. Do you happen to know what movie they went to see? I don't know. I just found this out maybe 20 minutes ago, and so I I could ask my mom. I doubt she would remember. I'm trying to – like, Return of the Jedi is the only 1983 movie off the top of my head that I know. I would have to actually – My folks weren't really science fiction people, so I kind of doubt they would see Jedi on their own. And it wouldn't have been out in January. It wouldn't have been – it was a summer. Yeah, you know, uh, probably something already like if Gandhi was still playing, they probably would have seen Gandhi or something like that. (laughs) I I will ask her, and if I find out, I will report back. (laughs) Nice. Our one sort of family Super Bowl story is Super Bowl Twenty, which was the one year that the uh, Chicago Bears won, and mm-hmm. it was the year of like the the Super Bowl shuffle with the, like the Bears doing their thing. Um, I remember because that. I I grew up in Northern Illinois and and around that, so the Chicago Bears were our hometown team, our home team. Yeah. Um, and the thing about that was 
my parents moved into it, well, with me too, but I was four or five at the time. Uh, we moved into a new house, and we, we got the keys, and we moved in that Sunday. So the first thing, literally the first thing they moved into the house was the TV. And they moved <laughs> it in, and they set it up, and they started wa- watching the game as like we were kind of like unpacking and moving stuff in. So that once the game started, we just kind of like stopped moving and just sat on the floor in the in what became the TV room. And just I watched like that. the game, so... Yeah. That's 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 a that's a great memory, I'm sure. And yeah. you know, they they've really got their priorities straight. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's very cool. Um so yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a fun little piece, but they, there's not much to it, but um I did ask you, I did subject you to the the rigors and and say, did you have an employee of the week for this one uh, of any of the cast including Pete Axelm? The, you know, there there are there are two things that that stood out to me when I rewatched it just now. Um one is that Pete Axel uh, Helm. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? I think it's Axelm. Ax- like Axelm. There's, there's a T. Me. There's a T in his name, but I, I think it's silent. I think it's Axelm. Yeah, it's it's an odd spelling. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's interesting because he has a line. He says, you know, I keep. They, they ask him, who do you like in the game? And he says, I keep coming back to that Miami defense. And I looked it up. And uh, the Redskins won that Super Bowl. They won, like, mm-hmm. I think it was 27 to 17. Mm-hmm. So he calls the game wrong. Yeah, Diane is actually right because she's, yeah. she's like, that, that Theisman guy will run right over. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, yeah, the joke at the end is like Diane is pretending she's all above it all and uh-huh. she. And- and she doesn't care. And then as soon as he says, oh, I like Miami, she goes, Miami? What yeah. you? <laughs> and uh, Shelley Long, of course, it's a broken record because pretty much every guest on the podcast says this. But right. Shelley Long plays the hell out of Diane. She's yeah. she's great. Um, I guess if I had to do an employee of the week, I would give it to her. Mm-hmm. I also really like there's a little grace note. It's not in the script. Cliff has a line. He says, Super Bowl 17, or as the French would say. <laughs> And and in the script, uh, like Ken Levine put the script up on his blog, and it's a the the parenthetical says in John's unique French accent, <laughs> <laughs> or as the French would say, Super Bowl seventeen. Yeah, uh, just... So he's basically just saying, yeah, Ratzenberger, you do a crappy French a- accent. Yeah, I love it. Uh, but but right after that, Diane gives Cliff a little hug. She like mm. leans over him and, and hugs him, and and I I think that's so sweet. I really like that. So it's not a line of dialogue, but that was probably my favorite moment. I, I like that a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, yeah, and I agree with what you were saying. I mean, I, I, obviously, it's like every time I ask this question, who was the best performer in the week? It's like Shelley Long is the default, and then I have to say, well, yeah. did anybody stand up more? Um, and I, I kind of want to give it to the guest just because for not being a trained actor, I really thought Pete Axelm had a lot of natural charisma, and he, he mm-hmm. came off pretty well. Kind of delivered his line. I thought he he was funny and he felt natural, and he kind of like fit into that. Where I could I could see him as a guest on the show, like if he if they ever brought him back. Um, I, yeah. I looked him up. He was actually he was fairly young when he did this spot. And he he actually he died fairly young too. I think he died in like 1990, so not long after. Oh gosh! Or in the early or in the in the early 90s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was that was pretty good. And for my home run, I, I did like that moment with uh, with uh, Cliff. But I really like when when Diane first walks in. She's like, "What are you doing?" They're talking like the the, the 12 hours of pregame coverage. And Carlos yes. says, "It started with the Super Bowl mass." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. 
And and in the script, it seems like uh, Sam has a line that was axed or edited out for some reason. Uh, in in the script, he says right after Carla talks about the Super Bowl mass, Sam sa- is said the next hour they're going to trace the family tree of every player on both sides, and that's <laughs> not in the clip. Oh, I don't no, know if they just edited that out, or maybe they cut the line before they recorded it. I. Who knows? I mean, it might have been, they might have recorded something a little bit longer, but when they came down to the broadcast, NBC was like, no, you got to trim, you know, five seconds off of this or something like that. You got to, yeah. it's just got to be shorter. So, yeah, I mean, because Super Bowl uh, Sunday, that's valuable, valuable airtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And ask, even, ask any movie trailer or any movie exactly. studio, like, I mean, how, even, how valuable the real estate is. Even turning over two and a half minutes of their broadcast time is pretty extraordinary. So somebody at NBC, I think, really believed in the show if they were doing this. So, but yeah, maybe maybe the scene came out at at three minutes or two minutes forty five, and NBC was like, "No, you got to cut it down to uh, two minute thirty seconds." And that line cut out easily, even though it was Sam Malone saying it. So, who knows? All right. Well, let's move on then to a decidedly different <laughs> episode. Next up, we have Uncle Sam Malone, which is the title attributed to this bizarre little piece of U.S. Treasury almost propaganda. Um, yeah. This thing is written by Ralph Phillips, not mm-hmm. a veteran Cheers writer, you know, um, still directed by James Burroughs. The original air date is not applicable because it never aired. Uh, and this synopsis I'm going to read, I, I actually, I couldn't, I couldn't write one myself for this. I had to take this directly from IMDB. So give credit to their user Hugo or Hugo, H-U-G-G-O. Uh, this is how he described it. Cliff mentions that he is taking a trip to the land of Paul Gauguin, namely Tahiti. How can he afford such a trip? He invested in U.S. savings bonds through the post office's payroll savings plan. When Sam contemplates purchasing some saving bonds himself, Diane balks at the notion, believing that the stock market is the way to make money. Based on literature Sam has on hand, and the knowledge that Cliff and Norm have on the issue, they try to convince Diane, Carla, and Coach that bonds are not only a safe investment, but a high-yield and tax-smart one. So, wow, you can just feel the comedy just radiating off of such a description. I, I mean, i I, I got to get my pulse rate down after that, that thrilling synopsis. Yeah. Um, now, I, I will I will just mention that despite being written by a guy who was not connected to the show, Ralph Phillips does have other credits on TV shows. Notably, like he wrote one episode of a lot of different TV shows. Yeah, um, he had no other connection to Cheers that I could find. Despite that, I think the characters feel fairly true to themselves. I think he probably had a good handle on who they are and their interpersonal relationships and the way they connect to each other. Mm-hmm. The problem was the dialogue by its nature had to be incredibly forced and expositional to deliver information that is just not funny. So the problem with this is it's 10 minutes of just not comedy Mm -hmm. by characters who – I mean it feels like this – I could sort of – I could imagine this almost as a scene in Cheers – or like on one of the off days when they're not filming like the episode, this is the way the characters are just sitting around having a boring conversation that felt <laughs> that it felt like a part of the world of Cheers. It's just not something you would ever put on TV because no, it's who would watch this? It's, it's boring. It's them shilling for yeah. you for postage and bo- like bonds and savings. Like so. Anyway, I'm rambling just to say that it's not funny. But what did you think? <laughs> uh, I feel like more or less the same as you. I I think. 
I agree with you that the characters feel more or less in character. I think the difference is, especially after watching that Super Bowl uh, segment by a couple of regular Cheers writers, the gags in this are just not as funny because they they ape the uh, structure of a regular Cheers episode. It's got a teaser. It's got the opening credits. It even has like the closing credits. And uh, if I remember correctly, this this segment was actually directed by James Burroughs. Yep, yep probably because he was very familiar with the set sets and the actors and it didn't make sense to bring in somebody else who wasn't familiar with those. Um, so he knew how to stage this quickly and efficiently, I'm sure. But the, if you listen, the gags are just not getting the sort of laughs that you usually hear on a Cheers episode. Now, maybe that's an unfair standard to judge it by, but <laughs> no, I, I, that I, was the thing I found striking. I, I don't think the gags work that much, but I also, mm-hmm. one thing I noticed, and I don't know if this was the quality of the broadcast and in, in, in what you can find online or if it's something, but the laugh track, and I mm-hmm. mentioned that because I'm not sure, sh- I, I don't know if this was filmed in front of a studio audience or if they just added a laugh track. The laughter on the gags felt a little bit more muted and in some ways almost delayed, like it was like coming a little bit too late. Which made me think, I was like, is there just something about the quality of the audio of this? But it didn't seem like it was like interfering or anything like that. It just seemed like there was just something missing. So I, I was kind of wondering if they added laugh tracks later on just to kind of punch it up because it what maybe it wasn't filmed in front of an audience. Well, you know, I think I did see the usual Cheers is film before a live studio audience or there was something in the closing credits that, mm. that said words to that effect. But who knows? We don't know the size of that studio audience. Maybe because it it was probably after a night they were already taping and they said, hey, if people want to stick around, you can watch us film this U.S. savings bond thing. And maybe half the audience was like, oh, no, we don't want to see that. And they cleared out. So maybe it was it seems like half the laughter because it was half the, the studio audience. Who knows? Yeah, and the other kind of question I had is, like, we we know that this was definitely filmed during season one, but it, was it just me or like I, I kind of felt like the few little glimpses that we got of Sam and Diane, I kind of felt like it. It seemed like they were already a couple. Like maybe this took place after the start. Like like they were all yeah. together. And, I I agree. It definitely feels like they are a couple at this point because they're. They're not really sniping at each other. It's it's like affectionate teasing. Mm-hmm. And she, um, I mean, she mentions that they went to an art show together, which doesn't sound uh-huh. like something they would have done before they were actually dating. And like, there's also uh, like a bit of dialogue where Sam first mentions, oh, yeah, savings bonds. I was reading about that when I was on the line at the bank. Yeah. And then and because Sam is doing a lot of the exposition about how great savings bonds are. And Diane says something like, oh, I'm surprised to hear that. And he's like, well, why? You didn't that would that I go to the bank or that I worry about ha- what happens to my money and she says no that you read something um (laughs) but it's said affectionately it's not cutting the way it would be when sam and diane were on the outs and and i think doesn't norm say something about like being out of work or or something like that because he was out of work for a good part of season one and a good part of season two Mm -hmm. if i remember correctly yeah and also is is carla pregnant in this scene i didn't think she looked like she was Oh, I so, wasn't really looking for that, but probably let's it's Carla. So let's say she, she got <laughs> pregnant during this segment. Well, because I was because thinking, it's if, it's boring exposition about savings bonds. So what else is Carla going to do? She's right. going to get pregnant. Good point. Good point. But if she wasn't like, I mean, I guess you could technically throw this in after season two, episode two, because by then Sam and Diane are together. And by then Carla has had the baby. 
But I mean, it's like you know I mean, I love that we're putting this been, much thought yeah, again, into they placing this into continuity. <laughs> right. This just show. This is what happens when you let two comics geeks. Yeah, yeah, of course. Do a show, which of course we're like, I'm like I'm like future casting retconning or something because at the time this would have been written and filmed, they still didn't know they were getting another season. So right, <laughs> right. And doesn't Cliff take a vacation to Florida? Yeah, in well, season two? he's all about Florida. Cliff and his vacations, man. Um, you know, so he went <laughs> to Tahiti and Florida in one year. That that doesn't scan. <laughs> Not on a postman's this, budget. This episode, we we got a retcon it. If if we do like the Crisis on Infinite Cheers uh, crossover, this this would be thrown right out. This this is the Earth Two version of Cheers, maybe. And so, with that in mind, I mean, it, it, this was this was the hardest thing to come up with. But did you have an employee of the week? Like, who did you think was the best in this? I would have to give it to Sam for okay. for two reasons. One, uh, unlike the Super Bowl episode, this one I noticed they have a few extras sitting around the barge just to make it look lived mm-hmm. in. Um, and so Sam is preparing drinks and he's doing bits of business. And he's peeling lemons for pretty much the entire run of this because it gives, it gives uh, Ted Danson something to do while he's talking about how great savings bonds are. And as far as I know, none of those lemons go into a drink. So he's just peeling lemons for absolutely no reason. I enjoyed that. And then there's also a bit where he imitates Cliff's voice right after Cliff says a line. And I didn't write down the exact line. But you get to hear Ted Danson imitating John Ratzenberger's Cliff voice. Mm -hmm. And I found that amusing. Yeah. So it's it's totally arbitrary, but I'll give it to Sam. I gave it to, to, to Diane for the last micro episode, so giving it to Sam for this one feels right. And I can I can totally understand that. He probably would have been my second. I I kind of gave it to Cliff just because I thought he did a pretty good job of delivering expository, boring dialogue in a way that mm-hmm. for him sounded natural and in character. Yeah. Uh, less, less kind of grating and annoying or conspiratorial, I guess. But you know, for, certainly for this early in the series, right? Um, so, I, but I mean, we're, we're it, that's a matter of degrees. Um, but by the way, how weird is it that the U.S. government picks Cliff Clavin as their spokesman? Because ninety <laughs> percent of what comes out of Cliff's mouth is just utter BS. <laughs> So you wonder if what what they were thinking when the government looked at it and said, "Yes, we want we want him to talk about how great savings bonds are," because he's he's not the most reliable source in the world. Uh, Let's say by season ten, I don't think they would have picked him. Uh, yeah, may, maybe not. Yeah, Cliff Cliff in season one and two, he had a little more together than the Cliff of season ten. So when, that's when a good. He's walking point. around with a potato that he thinks is shaped like Richard Nixon. <laughs> I think at that point. <laughs> <laughs> things have changed. Yeah, there, there's there's one episode where uh, I, I think when they bring in the Janet Elridge, uh, <laughs> or, or there's some politician who comes in the bar, and then somebody, and then Cliff wants to to go and engage the politician, and <laughs> one of the politician's aides whispers in his ears and goes, "Oh, he's the one." <laughs> yeah, um, I love and they like lead Cliff away because he's been <laughs> sending a lot of letters. So Cliff is obviously a whack job. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, and then for the home run, like the highlight of this episode, uh, like there was only one that I found kind of memorable. What, what did you think? Boy, um, I, I, I guess I'll just go with the line where, where Sam is, is talking about how wonderful savings bonds are, because that's a good 75% of this episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, it, it's tough to pick out a good line. Uh, I, I, I think you, you stumped the band here. <laughs> what, and, what did you have? It was it was tough, but it's the the exchange right at the end of the teaser, sort of before the credits, when they actually make a Star Wars reference. Because there was the one time where I felt like blood was going to my brain when I was watching this, when they were talking about kind of like the, the things out in space, and and Norm was like the biggest threat in space is Darth Vader, and he's like, but yeah. don't worry, we've got the Force, and he holds up a beer or whatever and takes a sw- and takes a drink. So again, I don't I don't put either of these into my personal Cheers continuity, and I've gotten into the continuity enough that I've worked on a Cheers Fraser timeline. So <laughs> I have devoted thought to this. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> no, but they are just they're weird, and and when I get to like the the third season of Saint Elsewhere crossover, or whatever, I'll, I'll figure out whether or not that actually makes it in or not. And hey, bring me back for that one. I will talk about the weirdness of that. Is that one? <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, until uh, until your next return to the show, hopefully under better circumstances and better material. Uh, <laughs> where can people find you online, or if they want to hear more from you? Uh, well, let's see. They, they can they can find me uh, online at the Atomic Junk Shop. Uh, that's AtomicJunkShop.com. Uh, that's a site that, that I contribute to along with a lot of other great writers that I'm not going to attempt to name because I'll leave somebody out. Uh, and also for you podcast fans, uh, since the last time I was on Cheers Cast, I've started my own podcast. Uh, I'm doing a show with my friend Darren Patterson called uh, The SNL Nerds where we talk about Saturday Night Live every week. Uh, when they have new episodes, when they're uh, in reruns or not doing new episodes, we find themes related to Saturday Night Live, and we have fun talking about those. Cool, awesome. That sounds that sounds great. Yep. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, thank you for helping me cover these weird little bits of, of Cheers. Um, uh, you'll you'll be back for better stuff next time. But um, okay, yeah. <laughs> not not a high bar to clear. <laughs> Certainly. Oh, now I've got to really find out what is the worst episode in season two. But, uh, okay, folks, <laughs> we're going to take a short promo break right now, uh, but I will be back after that to respond to your feedback from the previous 10 episodes of Cheers Cast. Don't go away. Attention, attention, all personnel. New from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, it's MASHCAST. Hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHcast analyzes, episode by episode, the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHcast on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jocularity! Jocularity! All right, now on to the feedback from episodes 13 through 22 of Cheerscast Season 1. Just like I did on the last feedback episode, I'm going to acknowledge everyone who left a comment on the Fire and Water website, but I am not going to read every word or every comment. I'm going to be cherry-picking a little bit here. Once I have done all of the website posts, I will read the new iTunes reviews that I've received since last time, and then I will rank all 22 episodes of the first season in my order of preference. So... First up, episode 13, Now Pitching, Sam Malone, which I covered with Robert Land. This episode received comments from Rob Kelly, Tim Price, and Siskoid, who outlined all of the various characters and voices Barbara Babcock played on the original Star Trek series. Rob Kelly then said, 
This is a particularly good show. Lots of laughs, but with a nice thorny moral dilemma at its heart. Like has been seen on previous episodes, Cheers once again gives the best moment of the episode to a guest star. I think Babcock's speech to Diane is fantastic, wonderfully real, and certainly a bit ahead of its time in terms of portraying a woman taking charge of her own sexuality and not apologizing for it. Rob then added, I wish Yelnick McWawa was our current president. Isn't he, though? I mean, isn't he? Uh, episode 14, Let Me Count the Ways, with my guest Mike Gillis, also received comments from Rob Kelly, Siskoid, and Tim Price. Rob said, When I do my occasional Cheers rewatch, this is the only episode that I generally skip. Shelley Long's performance is so raw and perfect that I simply find it too painful to watch. I almost skipped this podcast because I didn't want to relive it. Of course, Rob didn't skip the podcast, and I am grateful for that. Uh, Cisco had said, The always astute Mike Gillis mentioned my standout moment, the genuine look of concern on Carla's face when Diane hung up the phone. Of course, the story about how Diane's cat saved her life is great, too, and extremely relatable. Sniff. Oh, sorry, Cisco. Had. Uh, episode 15, Father Knows Last, with guest Tom Panarese, received comments from five people, Siskoid, Rob Kelly, Ward Hill Terry, Tim Price, and Adrian Branch. Adrian Branch said, These podcasts are great, but please, let's have more. I'm sure you realize that one every two weeks will take you ten years to get through the, all the seasons. Please, can you drop down the time of each one and release one a week instead? Perhaps have two of 30 to 35 minute episodes instead of one that lasts an hour. <sighs> okay. Initially, I was annoyed by this comment, as I think many podcasters can be when it seems like a listener is telling us how we should do our job. But I think Adrian's comment was meant with sincerity and not trying to sound so entitled and that is how I am going to choose to respond to it, with equal sincerity. Yes, if I stuck to a bi-weekly release schedule, it would take me ten years to get through the whole series of Cheers. And even if I change the format of a release schedule, it still might take me that long, because things come up and they cause delays or interruptions. That's, that's the chance I'm willing to take, and the chance my listeners are willing to take if they stick with us. However, I am going to try to change the release schedule going forward. When Season 2 starts, which will not be right away, I'm sorry, but when it does, the show will be weekly, but what will most likely happen is I will release, you know, 8 episodes weekly, take a few weeks off, then release another 7 or 8 or whatever. There will be little hiatuses built in no matter what. That's, I mean, that's just part of my life and how much time and energy I can commit to it. As for the length of the episode, that's generally not something I like to force or control. I like it to go where the conversation goes. Certainly, as more guests make repeat performances, they don't have to tell their cheers origin every time, so that can cut down on part of the discussion. We can get into the meat a lot quicker, but I can't and I won't promise that, you know, a half an hour episode going forward. Some of them might get that short, but that's not what I'm going for. On to episode 16, The Boys in the Bar, with my guest Nathaniel Wayne. Got comments from Rob Kelly, Dishwasher Danny, Ward Hill Terry, Siskoid, and Tim Price. 
Rob Kelly praised the episode and then added, You mentioned Ken Tigar in this episode, but you didn't mention that he would return to Cheers playing a different character, Diane's professor in the episode where she writes a paper about Sam and his sexual exploits. He was one of those guys I would love to read an interview with. He's always working and has done everything. He probably has lots of stories. That's a good point. Yeah, he's definitely like looking at just as I am to be like he probably know he's he knows everyone, he's seen everything. Yeah, it would, it would be a good interview subject. Um, also of that episode, Ward Hill Terry said, For all of the praise you gave this episode for the performances and the writing, I think you overlooked something. This show treated the idea of a gay bar as a thing. It is taken for granted that there are gay bars and that there are gay patrons of those bars. I believe this is significant for network television in 1983. Had there been any other show that acknowledged mainstream gay culture at the time? From your description of the show, it sounds as though the objections of the regulars were not to anyone's sexuality, but to the possibility that their clubhouse might change. Carla is different. She has shown prejudice against many types previously, intellectuals and postal carriers especially. (laughs) That is a very good point. Uh, And then Ward added that the episode's title, The Boys in the Bar, is a play on The Boys in the Band, which was a groundbreaking play in 1968 written by Mark Crowley about the lives of a group of gay men. Episode 17, Diane's Perfect Date, with guest Mike Gillis, received comments from Chris Franklin, Gene Hendricks, Siskoid, Rob Kelly, Tim Price, and Ward Hill Terry. Tim said, I know I have a soft spot for Diane, but her look of horror from Andy Andy's I Killed a Waitress There Once sells the moment perfectly. Sam was fantastic throughout, too many moments to name. Carla's amusement is wonderfully cynical, but also gives us the audience permission to laugh at the situation. The rest of the regulars were solid. Gretchen was so good, I likewise wanted her back, although I don't really think a romance with Sam would have lasted. Even the writers deserve extra praise for this gem of an episode. But Andy, Andy, he charmingly walked into each scene and completely turned everything we assumed about him 180 degrees sideways, and it was fantastic. Completely agree. Yep, that's why it's so beloved. Uh, Episode 18, No Contest with the Irredeemable Shag, got feedback from Siskoid, Rob Kelly, Chris Franklin, Tim Price, Paul Waldenberger, and Steve Cronin. There was lots of praise for the guest of the guest, in this case Shag's daughter, the precocious princess. Chris, Tim, and Paul all came to the conclusion that the princess really was as enthusiastic as her father, but had to tone it down so as not to sound like she and her father had something in common. Ah, teenagers. Episode 19, Pick a Con, Any Con, got comments from Chris Franklin, Siskoid, Tim Price, and Rob Kelly. Siskoid said, I love grifter narratives. The episode very efficiently, in 22 minutes, does the con twist and the twist back, and like all of the best con stories, plays a con on the audience, letting us believe one thing while another is going on. Just great. Uh, And the others all praised Harry Anderson, and Tim Price mentioned that this is his favorite episode of the series, period. Hmm, how will it fare in my ranking of the season's episodes? Find out in a couple of minutes. Episode 20, Someone Single, Someone Blue, with Jonathan and Maggie Schaefer-Hames, received feedback from Rob Kelly, Chris Franklin, Siskoid, Jack Bone, and Tim Price. Chris mentioned that Glynis Johns, who played Diane's mom and also appeared in Mary Poppins and the Batman TV show, Chris mentioned that she had another comic-to-film credit appearing in the Vault of Horror anthology film. 
uh, on to episode 21, Showdown Part 1, with guests Jared and Jason Albrook and Delvin Williams. This one got comments from Rob Kelly, Chris Franklin, Siskoid, and Tim Price. During our discussion, Delvin mentioned that when he was watching the show on Hulu, it had the CBS bug at the bottom, even though Cheers broadcast on NBC. Rob Kelly came in with the answer to that. Cheers is owned by Paramount, and now that it and CBS are sister companies, CBS now has the rerun or streaming rights to the show. If you go to CBS All Access and see what shows they have available, you'll see a bunch of shows that didn't originally air on the network. Hashtag the more you know. And finally, episode 22, Showdown Part 2, with Delvin and the Alberic Brothers again. We got comments from Siskoid, Rob, and Tim Price, who just got his comment in on time to be read on this episode, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to check out the iTunes reviews that we have picked up since last time. Five stars from Namtab29. I know who that is, but I'm not saying. A TV series as good as Cheers deserves a good podcast, and this one is excellent. Episode-by-episode reviews dealing with larger themes, but also about fun trivia great show. Thank you very much. Five stars from Council of Geeks. It's almost like you go into a place, a place where every individual present is aware of your formal designation, and said individuals reliably express joy at your arrival. Whew, wow. Someone needs to write a song lyric about that sentiment. Uh, Five stars from Hugh Stone. Cheerscast is one of the few podcasts where I have to listen to on day of transmission, like an appointment viewing. Ryan has kind of a slight throwback radio voice, which is perfect for this timeless masterpiece, Cheers. But thank you. I have never heard my voice described that way, or any way, I don't think. But I will take that as a compliment. Thank you. Uh, Five stars from Tim Price 17 Wonder who that is. Cheers is my favorite TV comedy, and Ryan's podcast is a must. It's like re-watching the episodes with friends, so yes, this is the podcast where everybody knows your name. Very good, very good. Uh, a mere four stars review from Ali Hewson, who said, I like the show as a lifelong Cheers fan, but 14 episodes in, there have been no women guests to discuss an episode with Ryan, and it is feeling very fanboy. Please consider getting the female perspective. Well, my first reaction to this review is to start Cheers-gating and complain that women shouldn't be allowed to watch Cheers or have opinions about it. But that's, you know, psychotic and stupid. Uh, I will say that we did have one female guest this season, which I admit is not nearly enough. I never thought of Cheers having a strong female following, so I'll be honest, it never really occurred to me to seek out a lot of female fans. But that's going to stop. Uh, going forward, I will actively seek out more female guests for the show. I don't know how successful I will be, but I should try, and I will try to get more women on this podcast to share their takes on the show. So, thank you for pointing that out, Allie. Thank you very much. Still wish it was a five-star review, but whatever. Uh, and the final iTunes review, a five stars from Nerdy Love 1997 Five stars. Back to where we belong. I will admit I wasn't a diehard Cheers fan back in the day. Sure, the show is well-written and brilliantly acted, but it was something I popped in and out of. However, I tuned into Cheerscast because Ryan is one of the best podcasters in the business, and I will always check out his shows. Well, I'm glad I did. Ryan's love and enthusiasm for the show has reminded me what I loved about it and has launched me into a rewatch so comprehensive that it's threatening my marriage. So grab a beer and join in on the fun. 
Well, whew, thank you, Sean, for that review. Um, I hope the the rewatch is the fun part and not the, <laughs> the threat to your marriage. Um, but yeah, thank you for that review. Thank you to everybody who leaves a review or a comment or even just supports the show on Facebook and Twitter. I know I don't mention you on these episodes or any of the others, but seriously, when I do get retweets or likes or shares, that does mean a lot to me. I always appreciate that support. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. And now for the moment that you have all been waiting for, my ranking of Cheers Season 1 episodes. Uh, and before I begin, I think I said it before, but I will say it again. Just because something is at the bottom of the list, I don't think it's a bad episode. I think it still has a lot of rewatch value and it's fun, but they have to be alright somehow. So, uh, at the bottom, number 22, The Tortelli Tort. Number 21, Friends, Romans, and Accountants. Number 20, No Contest. Number 19, Sam's Women. Number 18, Coach Returns to Action. Number 17, Someone Single, Someone Blue. Number 16, Now Pitching, Sam Malone. Number 15, Father Knows Last. Number 14, Coach's Daughter. Number 13, Truce or Consequences. Number 12, Sam at 11. Number 11, Let Me Count the Ways. Number 10, Any Friend of Diane's. Number 9, Showdown Part 1. Number 8, Showdown Part 2. Number 7, The Spy Who Came In for a Cold One. Number 6, One for the Book. Number 5, The Boys in the Bar. Number 4, The Pilot or Give Me a Ring Sometime. Number 3, Pick a Con, Any Con. Number 2, Endless Slumper. And number 1, Diane's Perfect Date. So, that concludes Cheerscast Season 1. From here, the show is going to go on a hopefully short hiatus while I refresh my batteries and work on a few other podcasts, but I will be watching Season 2 and recording episodes of Season 2 with my guests so that hopefully, as I said, once the new season launches this summer, I can get a bunch of episodes out weekly. That is the plan. Hopefully it sticks. Until next time, as always, thank you for listening, and we're closed. Coach, would you ever want to live on another planet? Gee, I don't think so, Normie. I'm already in trouble with my long-distance bill here. Yeah, you hit it right in the old nose cone air, Coach. Yeah, yeah, it'll cost an arm and a leg to talk to somebody in another solar system. You're going to see a lot more folks sending your old letters and your postcards. I'll shoot your business sky high, huh? Well, at least I don't have to worry about being shredded to bits by the occasional dolphin. I've got real problems, pal. Well, what? Darth Vader. Hey, no problem, Nami. The Force. The Force. Coach, another round of the Force here, please.